Welcome to Decolonize to Thrive, a podcast dedicated to nourishing the soul through stimulating conversation, thought-provoking facts, and vulnerable exchange. Join me, your host, Ina Briggs, and my co-host, T. Lacey, as we disseminate what it means to decolonize the many facets of our lives. So we are so fortunate today to have um, the amazing Rachel Stewart on with us. Rachel is a Chicago native, a licensed clinical social worker and the founder and clinical director of Amorous Counseling, LLC. She desires to serve individuals, couples, families, and communities as they walk in complete healing and wholeness while living authentically. Rachel specializes in the following, couples counseling, educating and equipping faith communities, mental health training and counseling for first responders and relationship repair trainings. So we are um, extremely excited to welcome Rachel Stewart to Decolonize to Thrive. Thank you, thank you, thanks for having me. Yes, absolutely. Um, So we would definitely love to just open up the floor for you, Rachel, to share a little bit about yourself with the community that wasn't captured in your bio Mm -hmm. um, and some of the things that are top of mind for you. Sure. Um, So I, like I said, I'm Rachel Stewart. I've been a clinical social worker for quite a long time, almost 10 years. Um, And I love the field of mental health, anything mental health I'm really passionate about. Um, I felt led by God to start my practice in the middle of the pandemic. And so he gifted me with Amaris and it's been beautiful. Um, And I also love working with faith communities and um, really just educating people. I've been moving from the direct practice of counseling to educating and speaking and doing those things. And so that's what makes my heart happy most days. And I also work, um, also work in hospice. And so that's a very beautiful field that I've returned to. And just the journey of, you know, walking with people as they're in their last days. Um, it's very painful, but beautiful at the same time. Absolutely. I get that. Um, Mm -hmm. that resonates for sure. And you are a mom. So you have some, some lovely little ones, um, and are juggling, um, all the things that we as career women and mothers mm-hmm. are juggling on a regular basis. So um, all the that's how people, you. marriage and motherhood are two additional full-time jobs. So, right. <laughs> yes. I <laughs> uh, love that. But you, you, you're always, um, you know, pushing yourself to reach higher heights and I'm really inspired by you and I admire the work that you do. So thank you. Thank you. Um, and yeah, I'm excited to talk to you today about something that is really important to me as well. So conversations around mental health, um, and, um, self-care, you know, relationships, all of those things are so important. They always have been important to me. Um, but, you know, having the opportunity to kind of discuss this around the lens of decolonizing or what it means for us, you know, um, through that lens is something that I haven't had a chance to do. And mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm grateful for this opportunity today. So I would love for us to just kind of start off with talking about the importance of, uh, from your lens, self-care and community care. So self-care mm-hmm. has been like a huge kind of like buzz phrase. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The start of the pandemic, right? And yeah. uh, initially, I was like 100% on board with this, like self-care is so important, self-care, self-care. And over the last maybe um, six months or so, I've been hearing more conversation around like how self-care 
um, in a lot of ways can be isolating for like the community mm. aspect and the collective. That's and true. it doesn't always incorporate like the needs that we have, um, not just, you know, individually, but like the ways that we relate to each other. And I think that's really important. And when we think about decolonizing, um, this is not something that we can do um, just by ourselves. This is absolutely something that needs to be a movement that we all participate in. Mm -hmm. um, and so it makes me wonder what self-care and community care looks like to you uh, from the lens of a therapist. Yeah, um, I agree. Self-care has been such a buzzword over the past couple of years, right? And it's everybody's like, do that. And th to me, there's no one list of self-care, right? It looks different mm -hmm. for everybody. Um, but I think it's the intentionality behind it. Like, are you seeing where there are deficits in your life? And then how are you feeling them? So if you are, it's kind of soul care, really making sure that whatever's going on, if you're feeling depleted, how do you replenish yourself? What does that look like? And sometimes that's not a massage. It's not getting a mani-pedi. It might be, I need more sleep. It might be that I need to check in with my therapist. Yeah. It might be that I need community. And so I got to reach out to my girlfriends because I'm isolating myself and I'm not giving myself the social aspect that I need. It means that maybe I'm not talking in the love languages to myself. When's the last time, not that I, you know, got words of affirmation from somebody else, but that I gave them to myself. When's the last time I did physical touch for myself, you know? So being able to be intentional about the things that we do for ourselves, that's what self-care is to me. Um, and I think that, you know, yeah, going and getting a man, uh, Manny massage that's great but are you also taking care of your soul are you taking care of just making sure that you feel refreshed especially as women um we often don't do that especially as black women you know and anybody yeah. in the BIPOC community we often don't do that it's so much a focus on taking care of other people which right. is good but then we deplete ourselves and now we're walking around empty we're walking around frustrated and angry and if we just take those moments to be intentional with ourselves um and knowing how to ask for what we need you know, sometimes we know yeah. exactly what we need, but there's a fear, there's a blockage about asking for it. And so I think that self-care piece is just not only am I acknowledging what I need, but am I asking for it too? Yeah, that's so important. I'm so glad you brought up the part about um, just like our identities as Black women and how we have in a lot of ways historically been expected to take care of other people since the very beginning Mm -hmm. of arriving in this country, you know, back even during enslavement, taking care of someone else's children or, right. you know, having to be on all the time and not even knowing that it is an option or that we have access to asking for help um, is something that is really important when we think about self-care. Yeah. Um, and it's something that I struggle with as well. Um, mm -hmm. I think that when it comes to asking for help, um, it may not always be evident that there are people around us that have the capacity Mm. No, um, to actually help when we ask for it. And I think when we get like there are different thresholds, right? Like there may be a threshold of like, okay, I, I can ask for help. But now like, who do I ask for help? Because right. in a lot of ways too, like a, all of us are struggling <laughs> in some ways. Yeah. Like where are these people at that just yeah. waiting to give help too? Because I, I need to find <laughs> out where they are. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think that goes into the community care piece that you were talking about, yes. right? Because it's, we need to be pouring into community, but people also have to be receptive for community. And so many times, again, there could be these blockages of I've been disappointed. I don't trust mm -hmm. people. I don't know. And so community doesn't always feel safe. And so yeah. if we know how to do community well and how to pour into community, we create these safe spaces. So then when we do need people to pour back into us, we know that, okay, there's these established safe spaces that are here. Right. Um, but it's hard because again, in the black community, we are getting so much better, but 
for a long time, we saw each other as, as competition, right? We saw each other as like, you're not safe for me to trust you. You know, you're going to be using this to get a leg up and yeah, not yeah. like, I'm just genuinely concerned and I'm just genuinely invested in whatever you're doing and however I can help. It's changing. But for a long time, that was the reality that we were living. Mm-hmm. You just said a ton right there. Um, the idea of safety. So mm-hmm. I was definitely curious about like, what does community care look like? And I do think safety is something that is like, a, it's not always as evident that that is one of the foundational pieces to developing a community of care. We have mm-hmm. to absolutely trust each other. Um, and then we get to the bottom, like, where did that distrust start? Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think that in and of itself can take us along the journey of decolonizing. Um, so really important. Um, how do you think our identity markers affect our access to self-care mm-hmm. uh, and how we show up for our community members. So if I'm a Black woman, is that any different, you think, than if I were, let's say, for example, a, a cis or hetero white male, right? Oh, um, for sure, how, yeah. In what ways does this affect how yeah. I uh, affect um, access to the self-care for myself, but also for my community? For sure. I mean, I look at even just the field I'm in, right? When we think about mental health, when we think about therapy, it was a privilege for most of our white counterparts, right? You know, it was that this is something that you got to have good insurance for. This is something that maybe only certain neighborhoods had, you know, these buildings and these nice places, safe places where you can go and you can talk, you know, to someone. And that wasn't very evident in our communities, right? And so just the access was something that we didn't have before. And just, and then of course the stigmas, you know, in black and brown communities about how do, if you are accessing it, well, what's wrong with you? You know, or we don't talk about this or you're divulging our family secrets, right? Whereas in other communities, it's all about, look, you access whatever help you need. Like, and we're going to find, we're going to help find it for you. You know, I remember people used to look at me weird and I'd be like, oh, you want me to help you find a therapist? No, like, but I, that's me trying to love you. But if you're not accepting it as such, because it's the stigma surrounding it, you're not thinking it's love. You're thinking it's judgment. And that affects how we do community together. Yeah, I think you there's like a lot there to unpack, one of which is like, um, and like, I think one of the things that I'm interested in hearing your take on is uh, the kind of idea that self care has become commodified, or there's Mm -hmm. like a lot of money in self care now as like a field, and how we navigate that, um, like as black folks, like, like, as like femme presenting people like all of those things. Um, And then also thinking about um like the stigma around uh, mental health, especially in the black community and how mm-hmm. it's kind of seen as a weakness. And and there seems to be this really odd like, like thing that we hold about like generational trauma in one hand, but like not seeking therapy in the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like, what do we do with these things? And also like, how you know, and also like, I kind of want to talk about how that affects how we think about our physical selves or how we think about like us as like people who have bodies who exist in the world. Yeah. Lot to break down in there. I know, I know. I just like throw it all out there. (laughs) So the first one, so the whole kind of like self-care being commodified. I mean, I think that's almost everything, right? Like in this society that we're living in, everything has a price tag. Everything has a, if you attend this webinar and come to my masterclass and not not nothing against it, right? Because I've done a masterclass myself, you know, and they're important, but it's also like, there's some stuff that you just, we all need the equal access to, right? And I think that goes into the decolonization conversation, right? Of where's the equity and access? And so you can't make it this elitist thing to say, well, yes, only certain people do this type of self-care. Only It's like, well, 
no, well, how do we bring this? And so that's why I love there's so many places, especially in big cities like Chicago, that they are bringing these resources to the inner city, to some of the impoverished places where it's the same on the Gold Coast as it's going to be in Inglewood. And so you get some of those mm-hmm. things together. So I think that's that's one of the things we're seeing. But yeah, it is. People are just like, you know, it's I, I don't understand it, <laughs> honestly. Um, and, and I think just from a place of if you need it and if people need it, they should have access to it. And I think that's probably my social yeah. work part coming in, right? Of being oh, yeah. To say, Look, everything should if you can't make it affordable and accessible then you're saying that they're not worthy of it and that's a different conversation in itself right but if we believe that we as people are all worthy of these certain rights then that should come with a certain level of access and privilege yeah Yeah, and when you think about like the presence of generational trauma when you think about the the experience of being oppressed Mm -hmm. you know from an equity lens people of color absolutely need for um, not only access to therapy and mental health support, it needs to be built into all institutions, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. And I think that I get concerned with the push for therapy, not from a lens of, you know, it's not important. I, I really believe that, and I, my background is also in psychology. Um, and my mother was a social worker, like mm-hmm. almost my entire life. She retired as a social, work, social worker after like almost 30 years. I understand the value of it. My concern is when we say that, but then there's a, such a, a large group of people who don't have access to it. Yeah. In what ways do people in that group move forward? Like, how are they able to still navigate, you know, a world that is day in and day out, you know, oppressing them or, you know, they're experiencing things that are limiting them and we know that it's inequitable when they don't have access to therapy and so there are some people out now who are really big on the self-healing movement right like and i do think in the information age we get access to a lot of stuff some of it is misinformation so you got to be careful Mm-hmm. Right. And everybody's All the like TikTok a, therapist. Right. So the IG therapist that I'm seeing every other day. And I'm like, right. oh. <laughs> so, you know, you got to be so careful with this stuff. But also there is a bit of empowerment in that and knowing that, like, OK, if you can't access therapy, like, how do we also address that? Because that's yeah. inequitable and that's a problem. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? We're talking about like decolonizing. We can't just sit and wait for access to resources like that's continuing to perpetuate harm because we're not addressing the real issues in our community. Um, so what is your take on self-healing? Have you heard that term? Uh, what are your thoughts if you have any about like the self-healing movement? I have, and I think, and to me it aligns very much with my values. I tell whenever I work individually with clients, I say like, my job is to work myself out of a job. I'm supposed to be equipping you mm. with the tools that you need so that. that you don't need me for forever, right? I don't want my clients to stay with me five, 10 years, you know, and not to, some of my clients do like to stay with me a long time, but that's not my goal. My goal is to say, look, I'm going to equip you with these tools so you can go out into the world and navigate it yourself. Yes. Um, so I think some of that comes with, you know, in the way that I do practices, I'm going to give you resources. So maybe you can't, you don't, I don't accept your insurance or you can't afford the rates or even the sliding scale cool, here's some resources to some free things in your community. Here's some worksheets you can start with. Here's some books and some resources on Amazon that can walk you through some of the things. You know, I can teach you some basic things. That's why I like to do community workshops because I can go out and I can educate and give you some tools where maybe you don't have to go into the office, you know, and actually sit with somebody. You don't have to log on to Zoom and do that, but you can do things on your own. I think Mm -hmm. as with everything, 
take it with a grain of salt. You know, if you're not working with a licensed professional, just be aware of where the information is coming from, you know, who the source is, you know, is it evidence-based, especially when you start going into some of the things relating to the brain and relating to different interventions. That would be my only word of caution. But I think, look, get what you need. You know, that's how I feel like, get what you need because sometimes we can't wait. Sometimes there is an urgency and there's so much information. That's one of the beautiful things about living in the time that we do. There's so much information. You can go on YouTube right now and look up how can I do some cognitive behavioral therapy on myself? You know, what are some different ways I can fight thought distortions and things like that? Cool, do that, you know, and then pair it maybe later if you want to sit down with a therapist. But there's, I'm fully for it because again, I know that the resources are not equitable right now. So figure out what you need and then do that. And then as professionals, we should be working as advocates. We should be making sure that, yes, we have jobs too. We got to get paid. You know, this is our, our you know, life sustaining things, but yeah. we also yeah. have to, you know, give back. I think, you know, when I think of the code of ethics and what I learned when I first started social work, part of that is that I have to empower the communities that I'm working with. So I can't just be fo- solely focused on money. Some of my heart has to go back to saying, I'm going to do some classes for free. I'm going to do some sessions for free just so that I make sure that it's accessible to everybody, especially the communities that I'm from. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot, again, (laughs) keep dropping bombshells. Like there's (laughs) like so much to talk about. Um, And like, I think there's, so what I heard you say as like decolonization is for you is like accessibility. It's it's resources, you know? And it also seems interesting that like your position is also about um empowerment empowerment and also like giving people tools right like you're like and like there's something about accessibility in that too right like I have the tools and I'm not here to gatekeep the tools I'm here to give you the tools Mm -hmm. and I and what really struck me about it is that that's something that I say a lot to my students like as a teacher you know like I'm here to give you tools so that you can go off and do the thing yourself right like yeah. you're not supposed to need me in a few in like a moment mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. absolutely oh I love that too that was so good um and I agree I think that is exactly what I was hoping to hear like about like the therapy world like it, it is important that we have therapists but also there's a helplessness if you entirely rely on you know um someone yeah. else to kind of help you to to navigate your life experiences like eventually you absolutely need to be able to use that knowledge and apply it in a way that works for you um and so that you can become empowered uh to create the life that you desire for yourself Um, and i think it's changing the idea of how we think about therapy because so many times people come to therapy and they think it's for answers right almost similar to like a doctor right because they they have these medical degrees they're like i got i know how to treat this and so, to a certain degree, therapists too. Yeah, I might know there's certain tools that work better with certain, you know, disorders and, you know, traumas and stuff like that. But I'm mining the things that are already inside of somebody, right? Yeah. I'm not putting anything new in there. I'm just showing you how to effectively use what you already have. And so if you look at it that way, that's why I say all the time, like, I'm not here to give you answers. I'm here to guide you into figuring out the answers for yourself. I'm here to walk alongside you. I'm facilitating change in your life, but I'm not creating change in your life because that's not my job, you know? And so if we change the idea of what therapy is and what a therapist's job is supposed to do, you know, I supervise a lot of new therapists and I tell them all the time, like, 
you're not God. Like you can't, you are not coming in to change these people's lives. Change will come as a result of you being in their lives, but you can't take responsibility for their change or lack thereof, you know? And that takes some of the pressure off of this role. Cause it can be really heavy to be like, people are coming to me with these really hard things and I'm supposed to, you know, in, inspire change in them. And I'm like, if I just change my mind to say, you know what? No, I'm just here to walk with them. And now I'm just a part of your journey, but I'm not the destination. And it makes a huge difference. Yes. I, yes. I had a um somebody in grad school who was like uh, you know, an older PhD student who was helping me, who said something like, I'm Spock and you are Captain Kirk. Like I am just here <laughs> to help you guide this ship. I make no decisions. Mm, um yes. and I think that's really powerful. And like there's something about that that also says something about decolonization, right? About like mm. you, you like gaining some knowledge that other people may not have access to mm -hmm. and then turning around and opening the door yeah. yes yes absolutely love that um and I think too like that is something that is when we talk about like finding a good therapist and like having meaningful sessions with therapists with therapists um and I don't, I don't know if I necessarily like the term good I think that everyone um who is doing the work that they do are doing the best that they know to do, mm -hmm. um, but also like when you're having conversations, you know, one aspect of this needs to be around helping people or guiding them almost to reach their own conclusions. Um, yeah. And some of my experiences have been more so where um, there's been like, you know, I'm gonna tell you kind of what to do or give you mm -hmm. those next steps. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's important to talk about that because when I'm in conversations with everyday people, I think there is a misconception, like you mentioned, when going into the therapy spaces of like, okay, this person's gonna fix my life. Like, mm -hmm. anybody fixing you? Love that. I <laughs> no. tell people every time in the I said, if you're looking for a Yanla, you gotta go somewhere else because <laughs> yeah, right? we can lose our license, number one, for saying some of the stuff she said. I mean, Yanla, I love you, but she said, I can't call nobody a gutter snipe. Okay, that's not okay. <laughs> <laughs> in the midst of therapy but yeah that is if that's not she's more of maybe like a life coach or and I mean she does yeah. her own thing you know but that's not the role you know and so right. first, even asking people like what's your expectation of therapy yeah. you know like yes. what are you hoping to get because I need to let you know whether or not I can even fulfill that for you mm. yes that's so important so that's like one of those checkoff things like your therapist should definitely be asking you like what mm -hmm. are your goals or what are you expecting uh, yeah. from this session or what you would like for me to support you with. Um, so I'm just curious about just as it relates to you, like kind of a sidebar, um, what is, what drives you, you know, to do the work that you do? What even led you into um, the therapy field? Yeah, I got here by accident. Well, I won't say accident. I don't believe there's any accidents in life, but <laughs> I, it wasn't originally what I went to school for. I went to school thinking I was going to be like a journalist, thinking that I, I love the written word. And I was like, I'm going to do this. I can write well, all that. And went to one of the top 10 schools in the country that for journalism and didn't take one. I took a communications class and that was it. I took a social work class as a gen ed. And I was like, wait, Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then okay. I started taking a whole bunch of psychology classes and I was like, the brain is fascinating. You know, yes, I love to learn right? more about people. Then I got into social work and I love social work because it's not just about the brain and everything internal and genetics, but it's also about the systems that we interact with. Right. It's about, mm -hmm. yes, you were born here. You were born with all of these things, but how you interact with the systems going around you, your family, your friends, your school, the neighborhood that you grew up in, those things affect 
how you how well you do in life as well and you know some of the traumas that you have and all that and so it was just fascinating to me um I think it's also a calling too it's not just a career I lost my mom at a very young age and so I've always had a different interaction with the world because of experiencing such severe loss so young Mm. and I also just felt that I've always been kind of like an old soul and so people were like you have a lot of wisdom you know uh, one of my favorite compliments is that people say I make them feel safe. And so that's really important to me of just being a safe space for people. And this was the career that made the most sense for me. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. A, yeah. yeah, thank you so much. I think also it's just so interesting how, you know, the best laid plans that you can have, how the universe kind of like picks mm-hmm. you up and, and right. switches you around and you're like, oh, this is great. And you, keep, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you follow it along. Yeah. Something similar happened to me. So I like, I love to hear it. I love to hear it. Yeah, yeah. divine intervention. Um, so, uh, Rachel, we just want to open it up to you. If there's anything else you would like to share, I'm always wondering, like, what is in the mind of a therapist? Like, I'm like, if I could just mm. pick a therapist <laughs> for like, <laughs> what do you want to know? I don't know. <laughs> oh, I have a question for you. It's like, as a therapist, what's like one thing that you wish that people knew about therapy or that you wished people considered like for their mental health or for, uh, you know, their own self-improvement? Mm. This is, it's a big question. It I'm is. real good at big questions. Um, <laughs> so it's kind of like a two-part question. I think what I wish that people would understand about therapists is that we're people, you know, that we have good and bad days. And I think the effort that goes into preparing for the sessions, because I think sometimes it could just be like, well, you just show up and you're here to talk to me and everything. But a lot of us do a lot of prep for our sessions way before we even see you when we log in, when we log in, when we, you know, come into the office, whatever it is, um, there's reading that we do. There's, you're listening to different stuff. You're done. You're emotionally preparing, right? It's hard yeah. to carry other people's stuff all the time and to know what to do with that stuff afterwards. And yeah. so there's preparation that goes into that on top of the stuff that we have to deal with, you know? So just because we chose this ca- career and this profession doesn't mean that our lives don't intersect sometimes, right? That we're not experiencing losses and hard days and arguments mm-hmm. with our kids and spouses and stuff like that. And then still have to be like, okay, who now I'm here to help and serve right. you, right? you know? So just the understanding and maybe some grace that we're people too. Um, as far as what I would want people to understand for their own mental health and doing that is just start somewhere. It doesn't have to be a big start. It doesn't have to be, you know, I'm immediately just going to go jump into therapy. Maybe it might just be, I'm going to start journaling once a day, something that I'm grateful for, or I'm going to take a self inventory of where are some of the areas I've been struggling in, right? You know, I like to give people kind of a, a stoplight thing that I've been doing recently. Like red is what I don't need more of. Maybe this isn't really serving me very well. Yellow is where some things could slow down, maybe, you know, and green is what I need more of, right? Mm -hmm. So really taking that inventory of what do I need more of in my life and what, or what's going well, you know? And so being able to just take that inventory can go a long way. Absolutely. Do you yourself have a therapist? And if, um, yeah. And so (laughs) what are some of the things that you look for in a therapist? Okay. First I have to give the disclaimer. It is so hard finding a therapist being a therapist. I mean, I was on the verge of tears trying to find one when I was looking for one recently and thank God Ooh. for sending her to me. Yeah. Um, but it's hard because well, number one, I can be a little picky because I'm like, I'm, I want to meet, you know, I'm like, <laughs> right. I, know I show up for my clients. So, um, but even just again, we talk accessibility. So one of the things that I felt was really important when doing a practice was like, you should consult with your therapist first. Cause I've worked at practices where you just get linked to somebody. You don't have any choice in it. You don't right. have any, yep. you just like, this is who you get. So mm-hmm. I feel like there should be a conversation 
conversation that happens first. So mm -hmm. many people are not doing that. Or if they are, it's just a quick phone call. They're not even doing video. I can't see you. I can't see how mm -hmm. our, you know, personalities mesh or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So the therapist that I chose, like, was the only person, I kid you not, out of about six who offered me a video consultation and who I actually could talk with and all. And so, yeah, um, <laughs> so it's hard. But I think knowing, um, you know, what you need in that season too. I've, I've had therapy a couple of times throughout my life, but I've needed something each time, something different each time. And so being able to take inventory again, what do I need right now? What are my goals? Um, and how does this person fit into it? You know, what do I need for them to be the expertise in as much as possible to make sure that they are giving me what I need? Mm, really good. Very, yeah. very important. So if there's, is there anything else you would like to share with us just about um, your experience with um, the therapy uh, world and then like what we can take away if there are any nuggets um, or just in relation to decolonization um, at all. Yeah, I think there's, again, there's so many great resources out there. So just, you know, look, if you just start on like, psychology today or you know therapy for black girls therapy for black men um latinx therapy there's so many different resources out there there's a lot of free resources again especially if you live in a city like chicago there are so many things that are going on coffee hip-hop and mental health have a lot of things going on you can get free therapy sessions through there um so many people are doing good work but just get what you need. Like that would be the okay. next thing. It's like, get what you need. Yeah. Like so many of us, like you said, are struggling. So many of us have, you know, life has been lifing for the past yes. three yes. years. And, you know, everybody is going through something, but we also don't have to go through it alone. And so we have to take off, you know, a lot of us like to wear these capes. So take these capes off, right? And be like, it's okay to say I'm having a hard day. It's okay to say that, you know what? I, I need people, you know? And I know that was something for me, I personally had to learn because I not just because of my career, but of my personality, I prided myself on being somebody that other people needed. And I didn't know how to need people for myself. And so I, my life transformed when I started saying, you know what, what does Rachel need today? And how can I ask for what I need? And then how can I let people show up for me and not feel like I'm a burden and not feel like I'm inconveniencing them, but know yes. that I'm worthy of this time that they're going to give me. So yes. even that mindset, mindset shift can be so powerful for us of like, you're worthy of other people spend their time on you. So just take it and, and appreciate it. And that's it. And don't apologize for it. Yes, you are absolutely mm -hmm. worthy. I love that. Yeah. Um, well, I have like one more question. And again, warning, it's a big one. <laughs> um, so like, what do you think um, like a focus on mental health could do for us as a community? Mm. Like how can we like, like what, what could, you know, physically happen, um, not like even physically, right? Like culturally, what could happen yeah. if we started thinking about self-care and community care, right? And also like the kind of self-care that you're proposing is like a self-care that like not doesn't isolate the community, but includes the community. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think especially for the Black community, generational healing. And I think that's what we're not seeing that our grandmothers Dang. and great grandmothers right. never talked about the things that they were going through right they never said I was raped when I was eight they never said that I was abused in my marriage but I just kept smiling to make it through they never said that you know my dad left and it tore me apart you know these are conversations that weren't had right and then we find out you know when they're on their deathbeds and it's like well yeah life was hard well why weren't you telling me because my life was hard too and maybe we could have been healing together or I would have been you know, having more encouragement and, you know, going through my hard seasons, if I knew that it wasn't just me, because, you know, that's one thing, 
trauma will feel very isolating, isolating. right? You know, it's like that I'm the yeah. only person who's ever gone through this. And it's like, well, no, but we're no. just not talking about it, right? Yeah. So I think this focus on mental health, especially in our families, could be so transformative just because it will... I don't know, just like equal the playing field a little bit of knowing that it's like, we don't have to look down on, you know, and I think especially, and this is one of my passion areas, especially in the faith communities, you know, specifically Christianity, there, there can be this thing of, well, yeah, oh, God has been so good to me. And I've gotten past this. And we don't talk about but you have to have something that you went past through. So yes, it's okay to pray about it. But when yeah. did you tell me that? How did you make it through on the day to day? Right? You know, how did you was it that you had a girlfriend come over and you could cry on her shoulder? Was it you know, these conversations yeah. aren't happening about, you know, I, I've never thought that, you know, it's a either or I really believe like, especially when it comes to faith, God is a both and so it's like you can have Jesus and therapy, you can do both of these things together. And what does that look like in our communities? Well, we don't talk about it, right? You know, so just the freedom to talk about what have they been through? How does that look like what I've been through? And now again, we're healing together. So that's those conversations between the generations is so important. Um, So we just got to start talking. That's one thing I, I like to be a little change agent in my family so I'm like well what happened to you (laughs) how did you feel about it you know yeah I'm just gonna get them right out and ask yeah Yeah. and sometimes that comes from us being the ones to be the ones who are transparent right for me that I've told some of my older cousins you know well this is going wrong in my marriage right now and not in a gossipy way but just of I'm hurting and this is how you could help me during this season you know and then that might open them up to say well yeah when we first got married this thank you but I would have never known had I not created this conversation right yeah yeah, yeah. that's so important and I think it like yeah. transcends generations and then also we talked about decolonization I think part of that too involves the patriarchy which we know mm-hmm. has wreaked havoc on our relationships and particularly for men you know denied them access to being in tune with their feelings mm-hmm. and being aware Absolutely. of you know how their um, disconnect emotionally um, yeah. you know, can impact their relationships with others and but most importantly, even with themselves. And when I think about like transcending generations, that is what comes to mind for me because mm-hmm. you know, our fathers, our grandfathers, our great grandfathers, you know, this idea of just being a protector and a provider yeah. um has just done a lot of harm, you know, for them. And it's at the end of the day, um, you know, they're they are part of a system that is much mm-hmm. greater than them. But yeah, thinking about how that could really change our community as a whole Man. moving forward. If we can so have much. conversations with our fathers and our grandfathers, you know, yeah. about how they feel and we can de-stigmatize therapy mm-hmm. and conversations yeah. with them, that's crucial. Yeah. Like that is yeah. important. And, and what that, is like, protection? Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I just like want to say, because I think um in a lot of ways, men need help. Like men need yeah. a lot of help, right? And like, we see it all the time, why and how men need help. And it's like, just because you're a man does not mean that you don't have feelings, you know? Right. Like you have feelings and you can talk about them and it does has nothing to say about masculinity. Um, yeah. And I think this is like a kind of a part of the thing that I'm interested about, like gender and how gender like plays a role and how we perceive literally mm-hmm. everything else even though gender has nothing to do with the fact that like you have been through stuff we have all been through stuff and you have to talk about it in order to get through it yeah and it's the way we're socialized too you know I was thinking the protection and the provider right but if we don't teach our young boys who are going to become young men that you don't just provide and protect physically but that's emotional too you can't just provide for somebody by paying for stuff you have to provide by saying am i being attentive to their needs am i anticipating that's provision it's safety do they feel safe with you can they cry on your shoulder or they think that you're just gonna be like it's cool i got it you got everything else but my feelings 
I don't feel safe mm-hmm. if that's not happening. Ooh, a whole word, just a whole word. Right? <laughs> it's a whole word. Safety is not just about having like actual physical safety. It's about yeah. emotional safety. Oh my God, a whole word. Yes. yes. <laughs> Sorry, this is like, this is like what I am about because it's like, it really is like that emotional safety thing can make or break a safe situation. Yeah. Right? It's the foundation for all other things. It is actually mm-hmm. the core of what a relationship is. If you don't yeah, feel safe, okay. you don't trust. If you don't trust, you don't have a relationship really. Yeah. Right. It's it's superficial or it's an illusion. Yeah. Um, so thank you, Rachel. You've already shared like just a few nuggets with us about um, you know, how we can access therapy, even if we don't have, you know, the resources and the mm-hmm. free things that are out here, um, which leads me to, um, how and where can the podcast community find you? So I know you have a lot of amazing things going on. Um, yeah. so what can you share with us. For sure. Um, so I recently launched a podcast and so it's called hey. um, Beyond the Couch. And so you can find yes. me at uh, livingbeyondthecouch.com and that'll take you to all the podcast things. If you're interested in any of the therapy resources, my practice has a lot of groups going on right now. We have a depression management group that's going on uh, Mondays at seven o'clock. We have a addictions group that's about to start that I'm super excited about because addiction comes in all forms. It's not just drugs right. and alcohol. It could be gambling it could be sex it can be food it can be literally anything uh wanting to be liked by other people you know that can be an addiction in itself so there's an addictions group that's going on we have a resource that is completely free for a teen girl so if you have a know a teen that's 14 to 19 we are going to have teen um girl groups going on weekly and then we're going to have an in-person celebration this summer um and then for women super excited we have a women's group that is starting on april 8th and so that also is going to culminate in an in-person retreat but it's going to be talking about cultivating healthy friendships because we all know that sometimes friendship breakups can be even harder than relational breakups. And so figuring out how do we do friendship and how do we do it well um, and and how do we show up in our friendship? So that is on there. So um, the practice is amariscounselingllc.com. It's A-M-A-R-I-S counselingllc.com. And you can find all of the things there as well. Awesome. Thank you. So much going awesome. on and all of it is exciting and super important. Yes. So thank you. Um, this conversation has been incredible. So thank you for taking your time out and just sharing yourself with the world. And um, I'm really encouraging everyone to check out Amara's Counseling and all of the amazing resources that Rachel has. Um, so again, thank you, Rachel, for taking your time out this Sunday. Thank uh, you for having Saturday. me. <laughs> this has been a week, boy. <laughs> We're making it though. We here. Right? <laughs> we made it. We did. That is true. Yes. And um, I know that we'll connect again soon. So thank you. Thank you. Hey, listeners, I just wanted to take a moment out to say thank you. We have the deepest gratitude for your support and your willingness to listen to our episodes on the Decolonize to Thrive podcast. I'm also asking that if you have just a few seconds that you take a moment quickly to rate and review our podcast, whether that's on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It would mean so much to us if you left your feedback about how the podcast has impacted you or anything you might have learned so far. Secondly, we ask that you do share and follow our Instagram page at Decolonize to Thrive. And finally, we would love to feature your thoughts in a subsequent episode And you can share those by leaving a voicemail at 312-843-3033. 
or you can email your thoughts to decolonize to thrive at gmail.com. That is decolonize number two thrive at gmail.com. Again, we thank you so much for listening and we appreciate your support.